Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Andrew Brock. Andrew is the president of Digital Technologies and global chief information officer of Associa, a multi-billion dollar revenue residential real estate company with 15,000 employees across 350 offices worldwide. Andrew's been with the company for more than 11 years and has been CIO for more than seven. And he's grown his responsibilities to be both customer facing and revenue generating across his tenure. He's also the president and chief executive officer of Home Ventures, a private investment firm focused on unleashing the future of real estate innovation. I look forward to hearing more about his remarkable journey from both perspectives through this conversation. Andrew, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Oh my gosh, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here with you. Thank you so much. I'm honored as well, Andrew. Thank you. You're nice to say that. But first, a quick word from our partner, Cisco, and the company's vice president and chief product officer of its incubation engine, OutShift, Poppy Menon. Poppy wanted to share how he and his team are building solutions to help organizations secure their cloud infrastructures. Poppy, over to you. Within OutShift, we have a multi-cloud defense suite. Panoptica, the product that we are talking about, it's a full cloud-native application protection platform, and it works very well with other products in the Cisco security and observability portfolio, where insights from Panoptica are fed into those products and help inform your cloud-native security. One of the biggest advantages with the Panoptica product is this ability to visualize your attack path. For any enterprise operating at non-trivial scale, your cloud infrastructure will have thousands, if not tens of thousands of vulnerabilities. This is just going to be the way things are, but that's not actionable. When you have 10,000 vulnerabilities, you don't know what to do about them. What Panoptica allows you to do is to take that and distill it down and say, of the thousands of vulnerabilities that you have out there, which of them should you pay attention to because they form part of a credible attack path that can compromise one of your critical assets? It makes it actionable and we call it prioritize with precision. So it really helps you prioritize the things that matter based on the credible threat that they pose. And now on to the interview. Well, uh, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just for context setting purposes, Andrew, for those who may be less familiar with Associa, could you take a bit uh, of time and share a bit beyond what I already have as to the business that you're in? Sure, absolutely. Associa is the world's largest residential property management company. And a lot of folks may be more familiar with commercial property management as an example if you know their office building is in some office complex managed by a management company. Our company is still owned by its founder. It's been in place for 44 years, and we currently serve about 7 million homeowners. So if you think about homeowners associations or big condo or co-op buildings, those organizations are led by a residential board of directors and they're little corporations, not-for-profit corporations, but they have all the responsibilities of overseeing those assets, uh, which in many cases is someone's you know, largest purchase, uh, largest asset in their portfolios, their, their home. And the industry is vast. And you know, you might not even think about the significance of it, but there are about 74 million folks who live in managed communities in the United States. And the value of those homes, those assets under management is $11 trillion. And as we get even a little further into it, if you think about the monthly or annual assessments that are paid into living in those communities, it's $135 billion a year of the flow of funds. 
And so if you think about that large group of, uh, you know, uh, real estate, about 40% of those communities don't use professional services. They manage it themselves. So 40% of $135 billion in cash, right? $55 billion of, of cash being managed without necessary professional oversight or 4.4 trillion in assets. So obviously a lot of money, a lot of value floating around. Our organization is the largest. And as I mentioned, we've been around uh, 44 years, about 7 million homeowners in our portfolio. So- that's great context, Andrew. What, what, what scale uh, we're talking about? Just, just remarkable. Uh, let's. I'd love to also uh, hear a bit more about your role. Uh, an interesting title: President of Digital Technologies, as well as Global Chief Information Officer. Peel back the onion for us on that, please. We started as a property management company, and uh, back when the industry was just beginning, uh, the condo buildings were starting to happen in you know the sixties and seventies. And it required a unique set of skills to manage those properties. But over time, we recognized that there were um, significant services and products we could offer to the communities that we were serving, from maintenance to insurance and financial services to restoration services if they had some sort of disaster in their community. Um, and, And that list has continued to evolve over time. As our company has grown and uh, our company, as I mentioned, is the largest in the industry and we have, but we only have about 10% of the market, highly fragmented. As I mentioned, uh, many of the communities manage their communities themselves, but our growth is primarily through acquisition. So we are in operation, manage uh, um, mergers and acquisitions firms. So we're acquiring management companies to the tune of one to two management companies a month. And that pace has been maintained for, gosh, the 11 years I've been here for sure, and obviously well before that. So our growth continues to kind of exponentially grow. And so if you think about that, (laughs) the management services, the idea that Gosh, Forbes, uh, you know, announced, you know, famously back in 2017, every technology company, every company is a technology company. Our firm is very much that way. So endless ways to deploy technology services to the communities in which we operate. So a few years ago, our company basically divided into three divisions. Uh, One is the oversight of the management services. So the property managers and the teams that are producing the management services to those communities, the capital organization, which is focused on our uh, inorganic growth strategies, and then our digital technologies division, which includes, I would say, the IT functions of the organization, but also includes some exciting technology companies, which we launched in order to serve those companies, in order to serve those communities. So uh, I've got the technology pieces as well as these new go-to-market software companies. I would love to hear more about the the, the technology companies that, that the organization has launched. And, and in so doing, maybe you could talk a bit more about the genesis of this whole notion to begin with of, of I mean, as you, as you pointed out, many organizations are on that pathway to becoming a technology company in fill-in-the-blank industry. Talk a bit more about uh, the launch of that that vision within your organization, as well as the opportunity to to lead this function uh, as well, if you would. Oh, sure. Well, you know, I think it's important to just note that 
everything in companies typically starts at the top. So this, I would say, is all of the, the vision and support and honestly, unwavering strategic and uh, focus from our chairman and CEO, who That's has John Corona, tech. yes. John Corona, absolutely. The founder of our firm and uh, the company is owned by him and his family. And he has embraced technology from the day he started the firm 44 years ago. So he would tell you technology from, you know, the original fax machines and those kinds of things, you know, he, he embraced it as soon as it came out. So there's a part of, I would say, the secret to, to our success that is really just the focus and the vision of our of our founder and CEO. So uh, let me just start there. Um, so with all that to say, you know, his encouragement ever since I stepped into the CIO role has always been to innovate, to improve however we needed to improve our existing and um, our existing operations. That's obviously important. Improve drive efficiencies, uh, using technology, but at the same time, recognizing that, sure, we're a highly acquisitive firm. And because of the nature of our business and the size of it, we had to develop tools for ourselves, really, in order to run our firm effectively. And in that process, recognize that we had stumbled onto um, I think some great technology tools that we recognize would be of value to the broader industry. I'll just back up and say I'm an old finance guy and uh, worked in corporate finance and consumer products for many years and supported the technology organizations of you know fairly large consumer products firms and uh, you know got to know what I would say the business of technology. And so when I joined our firm, I did a, several other jobs, kind of finance and planning and strategy. And then moved into the CIO role, I, I approached the CIO role as a business leader and recognized that, you know, there's this whole dynamic of every year, the CIO going and begging money from the CFO to, you know, for whatever latest initiative, new, you know, increased license costs or cybersecurity initiatives and things like that. And um, we had a tiny little company that we had, a technology company that had joined our firm through an acquisition many years ago. And we were using some of those tools internally. And it was just kind of on maintenance mode. I wasn't necessarily growing, but I really had, I'd own, I was owning a PL. So a tiny little PL is part of uh, my role as CIO. And I thought, you know what? Let's see if we can grow this thing. Let's play around and experiment within the budget of that company to see what we can do. Because we knew we had to invest significantly in technology. And so we started playing around with some fintech products and just seeing if there was any traction in the market. And Peter, the experiments took off. And within 18 months, uh, the entire IT organization, <laughs> the cost of that organization had been completely offset by new lines of revenue from this tiny little experiment that we had launched. And so we knew we had stumbled onto something, which was we had the capacity and the skill and the insight into the industry to produce great software and products. And we also knew that there was a need and a demand for it, and we could do it effectively. So that started us on this journey that was really a sliver of my responsibilities and uh, over the years, just as we have been acquisitive with management companies, 
We've done early round investing in technology startups within the industry and outside the industry. We've uh, acquired technology companies. And then a few years ago, we said, listen, we're going to get serious about this. Uh, this is uh, this is now real business. And we bundled it all together and spun it off into an independent firm that I run. I'm president and CEO of a company called Home Ventures, but it's an independently operated firm where all of our technology products are bundled together and into the, into the market and growing at significant growth rates, serving the managed community sector, as well as those boards that are uh, managing the communities themselves. And talk a bit about the team at Home Ventures, if you would, is uh, who's around you to support what you've just described? Yes. Well, gosh, we had to stand up. We basically stood up business units, um, you know, marketing teams and sales, a sales organization. We have a really robust software development and product organization, as you know, you'd think we would. We have one of our flagship products has 7 million users on it. All of that is supported by our product dev <laughs> marketing, sales, customer service, implementation organization. So the organization is about 400 people, um, about 300 or so engineers and product and technology folks. And then the rest is sales, implementation, marketing, and it's all over the world. We have a fairly large presence in uh, Brazil and in India, and then obviously the United States and Canada. And uh, gosh, as the pandemic hit, people kind of scattered <laughs> to, you know, countries all over the world. So we, I would say we have representation and pretty much uh, all over the place. We are really a global organization. The sun never sets on our operations. And um, maybe that's, can you see the bags? <laughs> the bags under the eyes, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, I, I'm also curious, how do you manage across these different sets of responsibilities, Andrew? It's remarkable how expansive your responsibilities are. And I, I'm sure a portion of the answer is a good team in place in each of those places who are quote unquote mining the store as you're focused in one direction and not on the other as you get, can't can't focus on everything at once. Uh, yeah. But I, I'd, be under, I'd, I'd be interested in understanding how you govern all that's within your purview. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, obviously, we couldn't do any of this without amazing folks. And I would say my core leadership team are folks that have been with me ever since I joined the company. You know, since I became CIO, and these stats are crazy. I, I recalculate them all the time to make sure I'm not making a mistake, but I'm a, I'm a finance guy. I'm pretty sure that these numbers are right. But for uh, the last seven years as CIO, we've had over 90% employee retention in our technology organization. You know, it was, it was really around 95% until the last few years, which kind of dipped down to 90%. But uh, we've been able to retain all of our, I would say, key talent. And then the other thing that's kind of fascinating about this is that as a company, as I mentioned, we're highly acquisitive. Um, and we can talk about M&A here in a minute. But you know, our approach to M&A is very different. I mean, we are not a, um, well, since I'm talking to some technology people here, it's not like, you know, the Borg, like you must assimilate, right? It's the complete opposite. Our acquisition approach is really about learning from great market leaders and then sharing best practices with one another, integrating where we need to, but basically empowering with new visibility to data, insights, intelligence, uh, performance metrics, and 
sharing that information across the ecosystem and continuing to acquire. So with that has come fantastic talent that we've been able to add uh, to our organization. Then obviously standing up great technology leaders that support each of the different lines of businesses. So, you know, divisional CIOs who uh, are able to sit in all the staff meetings of, you know, the key leaders of our firm and manage them. And so it allows me to spend a lot of, of my time now on the go-to-market strategies and uh, growth initiatives for our technology companies. That's fascinating. I'd love to uh, uh, cover a couple of those topics in greater detail, Andrew, please. I know from past conversations, this remarkable retention rate that you've had, and I know that you uh, attribute a lot of that to the culture of this organization. I wonder if you could take a moment and describe some of the interesting and perhaps unique attributes of the culture of Associa. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, I've mentioned this before, but being an old finance guy, you know, my phrase used to be cash is king. In this role, I would tell you culture is king. What has kept people here has been the culture of our firm. And as I mentioned, all of that starts from the very top of our organization. We are a family owned company. And the number one thing people say about working here is that it feels like a family. And it's the number one thing that keeps them here. So the idea of a sense of family spirit is really important. People feel like they belong. Their voice matters. It's a culture of empowerment. And I would also say it's a culture of entrepreneurialism. I mean, we are a very entrepreneurial firm. Our owner uh, and CEO, John Corona, is, uh, I mean, oh my gosh, the guy is just, I mean, a world-class mind. And I mean, gosh, he could start a business on it. <laughs> <laughs> spinning his pencil, I could turn into something, but he's, uh, no, so that that culture uh, obviously starts at the very top. And just to give you an example, the easiest way to tell culture is to listen to the stories that are told um, and celebrated within a company. Amazing customer service stories are celebrated. Obviously, we're in a customer service business. So those are celebrated. And the idea of new lines of business, those are celebrated. To the extent, such an extent, uh, Peter, you know, I, I have the um, honor of serving in uh, the investment committee of our firm. You know, we do kind of the capital investments and all those with project management office and all that over oversee that effort for our firm. And as part of every year's budget season, it's an open submission process from any employee in the firm who has an idea for innovation and improvement or a new line of business. And there are reserved funds, some more than others, depending on the year, but reserved funds set aside to consider all of those ideas across the firm. And many of them are absolutely implemented and tracked. I mean, I report on <laughs> every project to our CEO uh, once a week, and um, those are very much on the same list that uh, is important to him. So there's something about it. You know, the culture is king. So I think those are very unique aspects to our firm. Certainly sounds like it. I, I want to also ask you a little bit more about the M&A expertise that your organization has. Uh, fascinating to think. One, one to two acquisitions a month <laughs> across your time with the organization. That's just remarkable. And you talked about a moment ago, acquisition approaches about learning from great market leaders, then sharing best practices, integrating where we need to. But it doesn't sound like necessarily fully integrating, um, you know, all the time, letting the, these special businesses do what makes them special. And I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit further about 
the thought process around what is common versus what is unique as you think about that degree of acquisition across uh, across the landscape? You know, it's a great question. And I would tell you that our approach has honestly evolved some um, based off of the pace of technological innovation. You know, when I first joined the firm, you know, in order to deploy some technology services, we would have to convert their corporate books and we would have to convert their client accounting solutions. Uh, everything had to kind of move, be on the exact same platform or the exact same uh, software in order for us to get any kind of efficiency or visibility into data or operational metrics or anything like that. And so when I first joined the firm, that was my that was my big project. We did a huge customer uh, accounting shared service center, moving you know people all into one spot and putting everyone on the same tools. And certainly there are, I would say, some companies even now, depending on the size of the firm or perhaps where they fall on the technical you know, kind of evolution <laughs> maturity curve, some of them their business models would find that kind of transformation helpful and effective. And then there are others who have super ingrained, unique business processes serving unique components of the market that are really, you know, kind of niche uh, offerings. And, and so for us, our approach is instead now, because of technology, is how do we um, deploy the items that allow us to, you know, do health checks on the performance of the, the operation, to give them tools to help do predictive analytics on their own profitability and performance, help them manage and consume tools and training and technology to help improve their business, while at the same time keeping conversion disruption to a minimum. And it really is a case-by-case -case basis. And all that has been enabled through, you know, great API technology and the idea that we have moved our technology offerings really to a platform model. And we've made it work and we've made it work profitably so that even, I would say, competitive products and services in the market are operating on our platform um, because of the success of that of that initiative. So um, all that to say, again, it's kind of company by company, culture of company by company. And the idea that honestly, it's a place of humility. We're not approaching an, an acquisition, believing we know everything. <laughs> We're approaching it to partner, um, to learn from each other. And that really is a very different approach than even firms that I've been a part of earlier in my career, which mandated integration to a very low level, I would say with the exact opposite of that. And that has also improved. One, it's helped position those companies for great performance post-deal. And secondly, the word on the street of our approach is so different than others in the market, we don't even have to be out necessarily looking for acquisition deals. They come to us. Our, our pipeline is uh, you know, packed for uh, many, many months in advance, all based off of word of mouth. And um, you know, what a better way to market, right? Like there's no better way. And it shows that we obviously were people of our word. So that's also very helpful. And it strikes me also, you were describing this special entrepreneurial culture that you have. What better way? I mean, many people often say that 
the the innovation often ends for companies post acquisition that they've gone from zero to whatever revenue they've gotten they've bootstrapped they've perhaps brought in outside investors they've done all these things that entrepreneurs do to establish a successful business and then they're acquired the principals leave the innovation ends and it's sort of just about kind of uh adding to the geographic footprint or the revenue mix or different customers as the case may be i'm painting with a broad brushstroke but it strikes me that the approach you've taken is particularly smart for an organization that prides itself on, on an entrepreneurial culture, that that which the entrepreneurs do well is going to be called upon to continue as opposed to now everything that made you successful needs to change to the, the acquired entity's way of doing things. Is that a fair synopsis, would you say? Absolutely. And I think the other interesting piece to that is that some of those firms also have that entrepreneurial culture, right? So uh, family-owned companies, they've started it from nothing, probably um, built this into a successful business. And some of that culture exists in those firms. So, you know, there is this sense of, uh, you know, we have these common values and we know, you know, you can kind of tell fairly quickly, uh, you know, as you're looking at deals, which ones are going to be successful because it's it's really shared values. And, um, you know, and I think there's also an interesting point to that, Peter. It also has a lot to do with the success of our technology companies because a lot. So let me just look. We are a 44 year old firm owned by a single family who are in it for the long term. Right. And I think a lot about you know, our good friend, Charlie Feld. He, he always talks about win the quarter and, you know, win the decade. And so many technology companies, even not just in our industry, but, you know, all, all over the market are chasing the next valuation phase or their private, you know, there's private equity involved and they're chasing the next exit. And um, our approach is very different. Our approach is the long term. Uh, we're not going to take shortcuts in creating a fantastic customer experience and investing correctly to scale. Whereas many firms that we've even competed with, I would say, in the open market, gosh, they come racing out like the, you know, the hare versus the tortoise, right? They come racing out and you're like, oh my gosh, wait, uh, is there something we're missing? And, uh, you know, they fizzle out uh, eventually due to you know, they didn't necessarily build the appropriate infrastructure or whatever, because again, they were chasing kind of the next moment. And uh, that's, a, again, a unique component to not only Associa, big capital letters Associa, but also Home Ventures and the idea of our technology products and services. We are in this for the long term for our customers um, and for the industry. And we believe that we can continue to help add value to them as long as they're our customer and if they go try someone else, well, guess what? We'll still be here when they're ready to come back, continuing to innovate. That's really phenomenal. And you obviously add a lot of credibility to that. The fact that you've been there for more than a decade now yourself and, uh, you know, doing all yeah. that you do. Absolutely. And it's, uh, I didn't know, honestly, much about this industry when I joined. A good friend of mine from a big consumer products company joined, invited me over and I learned a lot about the industry, obviously, but more importantly, found this fantastic culture, which um, really, <laughs> it's almost, Peter, like the, you know, early in my career, the management training programs, right, that kind of move you around from one division to another or one department to another. Here, it's, we're, we have a new idea for a new business, go start it, go run it, go build it. Okay, now go grab the next one. I mean, it's a very unique environment. And then on top of that, amazing people. 
uh, with a wonderful uh, family who is obviously owning it and running it at the top. So um, unique, unique environment. Yeah, certainly that, that that comes across through your descriptions. I wanted to ask you, Andrew, as you look to the future, what trends particularly excite you? Which ones are making their way onto your roadmap? You know, this sounds, gosh, this sounds so old, Peter, to even say it's exciting, but I feel like it never stops. And it's it's data strategy. And it's not because we didn't have one or don't have one in place or don't have processes in place, but the fact that this is with you know, the the emergence of AI technology, none of that is even effective without a great data strategy. And on top of that, the massive amounts of information um, that, you know, we're gathering through every single acquisition, every single deal and the proliferation of that. I'm really excited about ways that we can create new insights off of off of the foundation of kind of a refreshed data strategy, predictive analytics that, you know, our frontline employees and leaders can react to in ways that, you know, much faster than others. And again, that's even through API technology now, which is evolving in some areas where, gosh, people were areas of our industry that are literally just still sitting on old thick client applications even they are now moving to API technology that allows us to move so much faster to see the entire value chain through data and insights. Again, that sounds kind of boring, <laughs> Peter, because it's been around for forever, but I just think it, there's a new wave coming here that we haven't really even seen the great benefits of yet. So data, analytics. Yeah, I, AI, great, great. Great topics, uh, certainly. And, and I, I think you're right to uh, underscore the necessity of a focus on data strategy for all that it enables, as you describe. So I I, I, uh, I don't think it's an old, maybe a topic that people have talked about for a time, but yeah. still one that uh, is in need of, of further investment and investigation. So appreciate you noting sure. it. I would just say one more item is Please. just, I was, I had the uh, privilege and honor of being um, at a, a gathering of CIOs uh, in Switzerland uh, a few weeks ago. And we had a lot of folks from the banking industry there. And it's interesting to watch what's happening with fintech right now. There's a lot of legislation kind of coming and as the technology's evolving quickly too. Um, I'm watching it really closely. I think there could be some uh, really exciting um, innovation and development coming out of the fintech space too. So anyway, that was the second one, but I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't interrupt. An important one, important. Thank, thank you for noting that as well, Andrew. I also wanted to ask you, as somebody who's, uh, you know, been a CIO now for for uh, for seven years, you've taken on these additional responsibilities. You're you're the president and CEO of Home Ventures. It's a remarkable purview that we've we've talked about through different parts of the conversation. But what do you think have been some of the secrets to your success and your rise to your current set of responsibilities, Andrew? As you as you look backwards, what were some of the difference makers along the way? I mean, I feel like I'm beating a horse here on this, but the uh, one thing I would say is obviously I found a culture that uh, allows for great movement and uh, and growth. So I think that's one thing that's super important. I, but I think the other thing is, you know, Peter, I I didn't really know that I had any kind of skills in the technology space, to be frank. I mean, I, I was a finance guy and, you know, I worked at PepsiCo prior to this role in a huge technology project and supported all the division CIOs as their finance person and um, got to become really close friends with them. And I felt like my 
the secret sauce there was that I was able to help them translate their technology initiatives into business speak and into a business case. And I didn't quite realize that that was a unique thing. Um, and they, many of them, uh, amazing technology leaders still running you know, big technology organizations for Fortune 50 companies would always say, Andrew, you're in the wrong function. You need to be in IT. And, um, you know, again, it was just the voice of mentors that when the CIO role here came open, I didn't even, I was being asked to take it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't really feel qualified for that. And so we started an interview process and every single person we were interviewing with knew all the same people I did. I mean, it was, uh, technology is a very small world and uh, would gave the same answers that I would have probably given. And so anyway, made a phone call, a couple of phone calls to several of my CIO friends and all of them are like, we've told you, <laughs> do this. And uh, so it was a big risk, you know, I big risk to do it. And uh, but I knew the people here were fantastic and I had fantastic support at the most senior level here. And so I went for it and a uh, little, little, you know, to find out um, there was a real sweet spot here in um, leading in the business of technology. But it was a risk, so risk-taking and trusting the voice of mentors who honestly saw something in me that I didn't recognize myself and um, not shying away from it, taking a, taking a risk. So anyway, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, great reflection. I really appreciate you sharing that aspect of your story, which is so unusual to say the least. And Andrew, I want to thank you for more broadly for a great conversation, uh, sharing some of the details of your remarkable tenure at Associa, your your remarkable set of responsibilities as we've described, some of the aspects that make make the company itself uh, unusual and unique as well. It's been, been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, Peter, thank you so much. And I also just wanna thank you for being such an amazing supporter and cheerleader for our industry and for leaders in technology. Uh, we couldn't have a better friend than you. And uh, really appreciate you walking alongside of all of us and helping equip us. Uh, really, really honored and uh, privileged to call you my friend. Thanks uh, for having me. That, that means a lot to me, especially coming from you, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs>